Welcome to Come and See Part 2. You know, one of the things we, we normally do, or I, we don't, I do, um, but one of the things I normally do when I open is, is I try to tell a story, a little something to get you pulled in, get you listening, get your, your brain going like, how is this going to apply? And today we were looking at the the idea of overcomplicating things that's going to play a theme through this, the simplicity of, of Jesus and his work and, and how we can overcomplicate things. So we're working on like a story and we're talking about it and I had worked I would say diligently, right? But I have ADD, so it was like three minutes probably. But, um, but I had worked on this really complex thing about uh, some of the NFL football plays and the way that um, the plays are called and the, the verbiage in them and what it means to every other position and then what happens if other players come in or if the defense adjusts and the plays they have to shift to and how complex it is. And, um, and, and we realized, like, it's another football and you know, story. It, it didn't really connect and make sense. Then Matt comes roaring in with an idea about um, when they painted their house and all the varying shades of a color that they had looked at. And, um, like, you know, like 500 versions of it. And, and like, how frustrating that is. And so we talked about that for a while, but that didn't really work out. And then Erica's like, well, what about when we, like, you know, shop for stuff for, for like, a housewarming gift or we're bringing some food to someone's house? And we were talking about it, and we're like, yeah, and, and kind of like, I wouldn't say, it didn't feel like bickering but it didn't feel unified. And so we're sitting here, we're all kind of like, I'm like, I want my football. It's kickoff weekend. And, and, you know, and it's just, it was weird. And what happened in it is we super overcomplicated the whole thing. So you don't get a story now. Yeah, isn't that the worst when like, you know, something happens when you're a kid and all of a sudden you lose a privilege because your parents did something? Well, that super just happened. No fun to open today because we committed the, I don't know if it's a sin, but the, we, we made the error of overcomplicating something and it happens pretty naturally, shockingly naturally and it happened to three people in the same room for about 30 minutes today and we decided, you know what, let's move on. Let's just move on. So I want to invite you to join me at this well, but not like in the early morning when it's cool and there's still some dew on the leaves and things are good, but midday when no one's out and about and it's hot and it's dry and everybody's kind of retreated indoors till the cool of the day returns in the evening and they can get out and do some things again. I want you to join me in a little town called Sychar. It's north of Jerusalem, quite a ways, and it's, it's in between Galilee, Nazareth, and the Galilee region where Jesus was from, and Jerusalem. It's in a little region called Samaria. And Samaria is an important place in the history of Israel because they were deported in 722 by the Assyrian Empire. And when they came back, when people started coming back, they brought with them other gods and other traditions and they syncretized them with their Jewish traditions. So it was this horrible mix of pagan, um, you know, kind of Near Eastern mythology and the Jewish tradition. And the Jewish people despised Samaritans. Jesus is walking through Samaria on his way to Galilee. 
on his way, he stops at a town called Sychar. He gets to a well, and it's interesting. We see the humanity of Christ in this. It's interesting. He walks up to the well, and it says, weary as he was, he sat down at the well. Now, this is a well that had been dug by Jacob, the great patriarch, one of the great patriarchs of the Jewish faith. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Jacob's one of the great patriarchs. It's an ancient well. Jesus, sitting at the well, had sent the disciples into town. Now, go with me. Here's this tired rabbi who'd been teaching people and caring for people and and telling people about the kingdom to come. And he's sitting there alone at a well when you can see the flecks of dust kicking up off the road through the haze of the heat and he sees a woman walking his way and she's carrying a jar on her head and she's coming to the well and sees him and kind of, normally she comes here and she's alone and she takes her jar down and she starts filling it with water and Jesus says to her, woman, can you give me a drink? She looks at him and she's like, this is my words for it. Man, you're a, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't really talk. You kind of hate me. And Jesus says to her, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him for a drink. And they go into this discussion and this dialogue because this woman is at the well at the wrong time of day. Remember, it's the middle of the day, the heat of the day. Why would she have not come out in the morning or come out in the evening? Why is she here during the worst part of the day? And why is she alone where she's open to things happening? Like people could attack her or something could happen. She's there at the wrong time of day. Because honestly, she's the wrong kind of person. Even for a Samaritan, she's especially lowly regarded. She's not a person who has any status in the town, any any moral leg to stand on. And in her conversation with Jesus, as he begins talking to her, he unfolds to her who she is. He says to her, where is your husband? And she says, sir, I have no husband. To which Jesus replies, that's right. You've had five and the man you're living with now isn't your husband. Like, you know, you need a cricket at that well at that point. She's like, like that gets a little weird, doesn't it? He's standing here and he's like, no, I, I know who you are. And she says, sir, I'm thinking you must be a prophet. And they begin to talk about who Jesus is. And this is one of the fascinating realities of the gospel and the love of Christ. This woman is the very first person who Jesus Christ reveals his full identity to. In all of scripture, the first person to hear that Jesus Christ is the son of God, the one who has come to die and take away the sin of the world, the first person to hear that good news is a woman who's been married five times. She's living with a sixth guy. She doesn't even have enough standing to come out in the cool of the day with the other women. They despise her. So the other women of the village despise her. She's shunned. She's alone. And Jesus meets her at the well and reveals to her who he is. Eventually, she drops her water jug hikes up her robes and runs back into town. In the middle of the the heat of the day, she runs back into town, and when she gets there, she's declaring to the people this news of somebody who knows everything that she's done. That's what she tells people. 
And we're going to read that passage out of John 4. But she comes back with all these people, and this is her invitation to the people of the village who know her reputation, think lowly of her as a person. This is what she says, John 4, 28. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way towards him. What is that telling us? She says, come and see this guy who told me everything I've ever done. To which the villagers, if we're honest, had to be like, oh, there's more? We thought you were just you, you know, kind of a train wreck as it is. There's more. He knows everything. And she's like, could he be the Messiah? Which would be an inkling to them of like, do, do we still believe, do we hope for that? We've got to come see. And she said, come see. Come see. She heard news that wasn't that good. When you're her, hearing someone tell you everything you ever did isn't like the good kid on report card day. It's more like me, right? You just, it's not something you look forward to. But she seemed overjoyed to have met this Jesus and heard all that she had done wrong. And it wasn't all that good. It wasn't all that good. But her simple words mattered. Come and see. Come and see this man who has told me everything I've done, which tells us this. He didn't come there and condemn her. He simply told her the truth. And the truth was so winsome and desirable that she got over herself and realized in some measure who she was talking to. She never thought on her way back. There's no indication in the scriptures that she was like, you know, set her water jug down. I was like, boy, I wonder if they'll listen to me if I go back. And I wonder if I really need to explain, like, you know, how we as Samaritans have broken faith and how, you know, God would choose to use me to reveal the Messiah. No, she doesn't have overcomplicate it. She drops her water jug. She bolts back to the village and says, come and see, come and see. Because it wasn't her that they needed. It was Jesus that they needed. She understood that who he was mattered to them too. Because though their lives didn't have all the outward brokenness that hers did, she knew those people too. And she knew there were things that went on and brokennesses that needed to be dealt with. She called them to come and see the one who would speak truth into their life. John 4.39 says this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged Jesus to stay with them. And he stayed two days. This is really fascinating to me. Really fascinating to me because what we see is that she does, she says a simple word, come and see. Come and see. And then God gets involved and does the rest. Last week we talked about trust. Do you trust him? And I had a moment in my life, um, I've had a number of unique moments in ministry, but I'll never forget a moment I had in Atlanta. When I, not Atlanta, Atlanta. Down in Atlanta, down in Georgia, we were on a mission trip with Vertigo back in the day. It was 2012 in the summer there. And we were at a place, I think it was called City of Refuge. And it was a place helping families get on their feet. And it was a rough neighborhood. It was a really tough place. And um, I'm walking back to a truck that I'm driving to go get building supplies and different things. We had about 110 students with us. It was awesome. And um, 
I'm in a hurry, and I'm walking towards, uh, I'm walking towards the truck. There is a, a couple ladies standing there talking, and um, the conversation was a little animated. It was none of my business, had no interest. Um, I was there to help build some stuff for the kids. Our students were there to help build stuff for the little kids program. I'm walking to the truck, and the Lord speaks into my spirit by that woman gas. She's talking to two other people. I'm like, I don't want to. I don't, yeah, I just, I don't want to. And I go and I wrestle, like I had to look like I was kind of crazy. Like I'm walking to the car holding the keys. I'm like, I don't want to. It seems weird to have to do that. And she's talking to friends and I'm talking to me. And like, you know, I just kind of having this moment. Finally, I'm like, fine. So I turn around, I walk over to her. And her friends had walked around and they were out kind of towards the front and she was by the side of her car. So now it looks like I'm a creep because I'm walking up now that she's away from her friends. And I said to her, I feel like the Lord told me that you need some gas in your car and, and some snacks for your kids. She let out a noise that threw me back. She just does this. She's like, ooh. And I'm like, oh, why are we hooing? You know, like it was like somebody squeezed an owl, right? She's like, and then it gets louder. Then, as though she had little faucet knobs on her ears, water starts like shooting out of her eyes. And she's not like, <laughs> she's making her who noise and just tears running down her face. And now her friends are like, what'd that dude do? And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I'm about to get drop kicked out into the middle of like Peachtree Boulevard in Atlanta. I was terrified. I was like, I didn't do anything. I just, I have gas. No, I don't have gas. I want to buy her gas. What's happening? I just want snacks. Like I was melting down. This woman's still hooing. And then she's kind of stomping and her friends come up and they are aggressive. There's like, oh, and I'm like, oh my gosh, please don't strike me. Like it was, it was rough. And then she starts telling them what's going on. And they look at me and I'm like, is it okay? Is this the end, right? I was nervous because you don't want to mess with a, a group of moms. Like you get them mad. They'll just smack you into next week and put you in a car seat. And I was sitting there. I was like, oh. And she, they just started talking with me. And they said, she has to get to work today. And she has no gas. And we're broke too. There was nothing we could do. And they were standing outside their cars because they couldn't talk while they were running because there was not enough gas to get them even like halfway to work. And God did the rest. So all of a sudden, I'm like, well, you know, I kind of received a word and thought I would, you know, no, I just was able to, to be a part of it. God, I did a simple thing and God did the rest. And when we look at this story, we can realize that that holds true today as much as it did back in Sychar. That God will do the rest if we will but open up and say the words, come and see. If we will obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit to give witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, God will do the rest. And here's what we see in God doing the rest. In John 4, 41, it says this, and because of his words, many more, believe, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is don't you kind of want to know what he really is? Listen to the words and the description and the absolute abundance of faith in this. Now we really know that this man is the savior of the world. Because one, 
five times married woman came out and said, come and see. Come and see this man. He may be the Messiah. And really what, what we have to do is understand that in the end, all she did was play her part and God did the rest. God got involved in this. And your, her testimony brought God's participation to a place where he could reveal himself to them. They were open to hearing from him. Her little testimony of come and see was enough to open the door for their hearts to be open to the flood of Jesus Christ coming in. God took care of the rest. When we share what Jesus has done in our life, when we open up and we live a life that gives testimony, the Holy Spirit does the work in the lives of those around us to illuminate our own need for Jesus. Our own need for Jesus. When we hear someone's testimony, there's an inkling within us of has God done that work in me too? I celebrate for my brother or sister in faith, but I also think what work does God need to do in me? God can use the smallest, most insignificant, outcast, lonely individual sitting at a well in the heat of the day to bring the gospel to bear on the lives of people in a region that was forsaken in the mind of the Jews by God. And Jesus is saying it's not forsaken, it's dearly loved. And in this place, I will be declared the savior of the world. So we recognize that we need to learn to give a testimony. We need to learn to share in the most basic way. Come and see. Come and see. People often say to me, you know, like, they'll be like, I really like your preaching. Or I really like, you know, how you communicate. I need to tell you something. There have been a few times where, like, if you do bad and you lay an egg, right, I feel like there's times I've laid a car-sized egg. Like, you've made mistakes when you're a pastor. You've said things. You've mixed words up and you haven't done good. When I was young and working in mercy ships, I was asked to preach with the evangelism team one night. I had my stuff all ready to go. had a translator with me. We went out with the evangelism team, and I was like, well, pack, and I laid the word down. It was, it was, there's, I don't know the Spanish word for terrible, but I think that's what they were saying to me, like, well, you know, I think, okay, <laughs> like it was bad. It was super bad. There was a time where the translator looked at me and I was like, I don't know what to do, man. This is rough, like 80 grit sandpaper rough. I don't, and he just looks at me, I'm like, <laughs> like I was bad, really, really bad. But I was trying my best. I was doing my best with the limited gifts and resources I had. And here's the thing. There's a little boy named Caesar, who was there that night. And when they gave the gospel call, I was like, like I got done and I was like, I don't know why any of you would like to receive Jesus after that. I, I need to apologize for what I've done, but if anybody would like to, and he had been sick as a little boy, this was in Puerto Corinto, Nicaragua, and this little skinny arm went up in the air. And Caesar became a Christian. And I took Caesar under my wing for the three months we were there. And we became friends, even though we didn't speak the same language. And, um, and it was a wonderful relationship. And he really is the first fruits of the gospel in my life. He's the first person I ever led to Christ that I ever had the privilege to say. It was a dumpster fire of a message. I don't even know what I preached on. I don't think I've preached on it since. It was so bad, and God used it. Not because I was awesome, not because I was gifted, not because I was compelling. No, it was because I was a wreck. 
It was, it was just, I was me. I was a wreck. I didn't know what I was preaching about. But God needed a little door to open so he could invade their life with the gospel. And the obedient testimony of a very broken vessel allowed a young man to come to know the Lord. Your life gets to be that thing. So if you're like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to make a, embarrass myself. Then say the words. Come and see the one who knows everything about my life. Come and see the one who loves me in reckless, abandoned fashion. Come and see the one whose love for me is evident in his knowledge of me, yet he desires to know me. He knows how sinful and evil I am, yet still in some way he loves me and called me his own. Come and see him. Don't discount yourself as a a missionary for Jesus Christ because you're not eloquent, because you don't have a cool testimony. You're not one of those people who's like, I was on drugs for 42 years, killed half you know, of a town and did all this stuff, and now I know Jesus. That's, that's amazing when people like that come to Christ. Praise God. But there's some people whose testimony isn't radical, but it's still completely transformative. Your testimony matters. It matters that you invite people to come and see the one who saved you, the one who saved you and redeemed you. None of those people in that town of Sychar were as messed up as that woman who had been married five times and life was kind of a wreck. But I think in the end, it didn't matter who was messiest, they found the purpose, the point, the reason for life. They found Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and their testimony was declaring him. So don't ever discount that Jesus Christ found you. Jesus found you. He called you to himself. He wants to send you to others. He wants your life to be a mission life, a life that's out telling the gospel, preaching the gospel in every time you possibly can. There are others who need to know this gospel, and you are the ones who are responsible to invite them to come and see. Just look who Jesus used. He used a Samaritan woman who, again, completely outside of Jewish custom, they didn't even talk to each other, so he used a Samaritan woman who like, had defiled the marriage covenant in that culture multiple times and had been really a, a standard bearer for everything that was wrong in that culture. And Jesus used her and revealed himself to her first. Why? Because her testimony would matter. Look at who Jesus used. He used a Samaritan woman. He used Mary Magdalene. She was a prostitute who had seven demons in her and Jesus cast them out. And we think to ourselves, Okay, yeah, he used these broken people, but you don't know how messed up I am. Yes, I do. We are messed up. We are broken. But we need to look at his first missionaries. These women couldn't hold it back. They went and proclaimed, come and see. Come and see the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the story of Mary Magdalene, another woman who was thrown away by culture who was a wasted life, a woman who was possessed and had all these things that were wrong with her. And she was the first to say to the disciples, right, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, Mary Magdalene was the first one to ever say, come and see, Jesus isn't in the tomb. Like, think about that. Think about the revelation going on in this. Think about the power. This isn't complicated. This is redemption. This is the simple use of testimony. 
Look at the way Jesus used the Samaritan woman. Look at the way Jesus used Mary Magdalene. I want to just pull you back real quick to the very first three chapters of Scripture, to the original sin where everything fell apart. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and Eve was tempted by the snake and she ate and gave to Adam and he ate and God did put a curse onto women from that. There was a curse in the garden where women first fell and men first fell. And it was hard and it was brutal and it's uncomfortable to read about. But look at redemption. Look at the testimony Women of the church, look at the testimony. Who did Jesus reveal himself first to? A woman. Who did Jesus reveal himself first to when he was, when he was resurrected on Easter morning? A woman. What is this saying? It's saying that we understand that God is doing something. I love parallels in Scripture. The, the first fall was in a garden with a woman. And the first restoration after Christ had risen from the dead was to a woman in a garden. Do you see how God's making all things new? So don't sit here and tell me your past is too messed up. Tell me this, that you're brave enough to lean in and invite people to come and see the one who will use your testimony to reach countless others, not because you have an overcomplex, great way to explain all of this faith and systematic theologies and all these things. No, none of that. Tell me you're brave enough to say, come and see. Tell me you can't attend to the task you're holding on to, like that woman with the jug. I can't deal with it because I gotta go tell people there's someone here worth seeing. Tell me that we're brave enough, church, to see that redemption has come home in our lives and we are called to spread it outwards. Don't sit here and tell me how we can't do things. Let us look and remember that Jesus Christ loves us and he's fully aware of how sinful and broken we are, yet he wants to reveal himself to us so that our lives can do what the woman at the well did. Come and see. What Mary Magdalene did. Come and see. I love the language of our testimony and the simplicity of it. Come and see Jesus Christ. Come and meet him. Listen to this story. It's a story of Easter morning. It's a story of resurrection. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Then the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he laid. Come and see the place he used to be. It's empty. And I would say this for us. For us who are in Christ, there is a endless storage unit full of our sin. And we can come and we can see that it is not there anymore. It has been removed by the blood of Christ. 
And on seeing that empty bed, they realized that Christ had become victorious over something. It was bigger than they could conceive of, but they got to play a part in it. And my invitation to you and my hope for you is that you will hear this next part. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Jesus' first invitation after he rose from the dead is, tell them to come see what happened. Tell them to come see what happened. Do you need resurrection? Do you need to experience in some way the fact that you are fully forgiven in Christ? And if you are forgiven in Christ, those are your words. This reckless love of Jesus that does not care or concern itself with the optics of how it looks. Jesus was talking to someone at a well he shouldn't have talked to, a woman of low moral character that he should never have associated with, yet he talked to her and changed the region. If you think you're not worthy, Jesus disagrees. So today I invite you to experience the reckless love of Christ for yourself and then share it with others by inviting them. Come and see this man who knows everything I've ever done. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are and the work you're doing. Bless us, guard us, and keep us, Lord, from our own um, sinful natures. And may we, um, may we faithfully follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine with me what it was like in Samaria when that group of people who confessed Christ as the Savior of the world and followed him faithfully and trusted in him. Imagine what it was like when they shared their testimony and were like, you know, um, you remember the lady who's been married five times, is living with another dude, and, um, and things. Yeah, she invited me to know Jesus because he met with her one day and, and invited us all in. And now we're all Christians because she was obedient to say, come and see. We, we know him because of her. We know him because of her. My hope, my prayer, and what bubbles up within me is that thing for you. Because in the end, we all know Jesus because someone shared him with us. And the church can never commit the living heresy of thinking it's not our job to share Jesus Christ. It is, but it's quite simple. Come and see. Come and see the one who knows everything I ever did. Come and see. I think he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Your life is inviting people to come and see not how perfect you are, but your redemption. Your testimony is powerful. And I invite you to live into it with hope and steadfast assurance that Jesus Christ has done the rest of the work of your salvation because you trusted in him. You're saved. Now, you're living a life of purpose, inviting people to come and see. May God be with you as you do it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. As you go about this life, inviting people to come and see, remember, he will finish the work, but he needs you 
He's chosen to need you. He's recklessly put into our hands these broken vessels of us, the gospel. He chose us to be the trigger to revelation of him in this world. Go and invite all who you meet to come and see the one who knows everything about you and loves you just the same.